0: at paypal.me forward slash pod. the link to both of those can also be found in the show notes finally please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform now on to the next topic
1: no idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're figuring this stuff out ourselves so anyway Could i i, I- <laughs>
2: I don't know about that background, Sean. It's uh, kind of distracting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find. I, I had one of Zach's, but it kept coming in mirrored. So I said, the "Hell, I'll up a steak here." So oh,
2: there you go. Well, at least it's appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get hungry listening to the podcast, maybe or something. Watching the podcast—that's so. <laughs> for sure. That's anyway, for Zach, we're recording right now. So, so now, do you? What do you? What do, How do you prefer to be called? Because you've got CJ and Charles. What's what is uh, what well, is most? Your preference?
2: Most people know me as CJ.
1: CJ. Okay, that's And so. we're. And you're, where are you at right now? Are you in, are you in Santa Fe? Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Palm okay. So you're in California, but weren't you, at, yep. weren't you in Santa Fe for some period of time?
2: I, I was, but my heart defect, the elevation was getting to me, the, you know, oxygen. So I, I, I don't know what you know about it, but I, I have a uh, hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. Okay. Okay. So, so, you know, it's uh, I have, trouble with electrical runs and I don't get as much volume. So of course, I, you know, it's harder to get the air everywhere it needs to go. So you you gotta know live, that. You're you
1: an got to live low altitude, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. A-level. It's, it's, it's turned out that way. I mean, you, especially that, uh, Santa Fe's at about seven and I went up yeah. to, to nine to see the Aspens when they, bloom you know when they go gold and yeah. uh, I, I couldn't walk across the street it was really too bad Wow, yeah, i know exactly
1: because I, I used to live in corrales which is uh, just north of albuquerque and i'd go up to santa fe all the time and i know exactly where you're going Where those aspens there's those nice trails all the way up to the ski run up oh, there at the top of santa it's fe so
2: beautiful up there yeah. And, yeah all the hikes in the mountains Yeah, and
1: you go up there in about september october november and beautiful beautiful stuff up there to see that's a beautiful area
2: yeah it is and if i could have handled that i'd probably still be there but you know it is a bit remote but then again, so is Palm Springs. <laughs> you can't get anywhere <laughs> with a direct flight. So, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, it's, right, you it's, I'm sorry. it's,
1: it's, it's you know, like I said, it's good having you on here. Um, you know, I saw your film, the, you know, The Perfect Human Diet. Yeah, you know, I can't remember when it came out. I mean, many, several years ago. I mean, it's, you know, at least a couple of years, three, four years ago, maybe. Yeah, officially,
2: digital release was the end of December 2012. But in January, it hit number one for a week in the USA and Canada. Thanks a lot to, you know. Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf at the time uh, mentioning it. So yes, five years. Okay, yeah, because that, that seems years. about
1: right when I saw it, because I saw, it, you know, I remember when I when I just saw it I said, Well this is a really neat film. And I know you'd uh you know, you'd kind of cover a lot of stuff we're covering now that you kind of talked about then, you know, is is and it's still surprisingly the stuff that's was true three million ago years ago. In 2012, it's still the same as it was in 2019. It hasn't changed, you know?
2: Well, no, it hasn't. In fact, the Max Planck Institute, where I got a lot of the scientific uh, data, I emailed them last year, and I said, well, has anything changed? And they have dig sites, hundreds of dig sites, all over the world. And they said, nope, still the same. It's the same message. They're finding the same things. You know, so, uh, you know, they haven't found any, you know, grain, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Cash brain, is there in the right.
1: societies living fifty thousand years ago. So, well, anyway, because yeah. we're jumping in the middle of a conversation, so let's sure. um, let's back up a little bit and and tell our listeners who may not be aware of your work or aware of who you are um, a little bit about your background, and, and then we can kind of talk about what you're doing uh, and, and go from there.
2: Great, and occasionally a military jet will fly over. So, if that happens and you can't hear me, just please let me know. Um, you know. My name is CJ Hunt. If you don't know me, I'm the producer and host and writer of a film called The Perfect Human Diet. I was looking for the answer to uh, obesity and chronic diet related disease, and I wanted to look somewhere new as a journalist, as a reporter, uh, to find out what the answers were to try to help us find solutions for those problems, because as you well know, we keep getting the same advice over and over again for the last 30 years and such, and the problems are only getting worse. So, nicely enough, that film was very well received. It uh, is now all over the world, uh, digitally in 13 languages subtitled, and so if you haven't seen it, I invite you to go see it in the, on iTunes, or Google Play, or uh, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you know, all, the, all the, the normal players. But the thing is, is that, I was inspired to do that, if, that, if that, you want to know about my background, is that when I was 24, I went jogging and uh, promptly dropped dead, running around Beverly Hills High School. And luckily, an anesthesiologist showed up to go jogging that same day, Memorial Day 1978, and he got to me and kept me going until the paramedics could get there, and they jump-started me and transported me to UCLA Medical Center where I spent 10 days in intensive care while they tried to figure out what was going on. Um, The bottom line for me was that I had a heart birth defect. And at the time um, they didn't have any real way of handling it except giving you drugs. And uh, I had beta blockers, which made me very sad and, you know, cried all the time and my hair fell out and all those things. So I, I decided that was not the way to go. And I had to, like many people do now, search out my own way, my own path to health. And so that's when I started experimenting with, diet and trying to find out anything I could uh, to get healthier. Now, mind you, at that time, we didn't have the internet and you had to go to metaphysical bookstores (laughs) to find, you know, like the Bodhi tree in Los Angeles to find anything that was, you know, alternative options for eating. And of course they had covered veganism and, you know, vegetarianism and fasting and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of cycling back around now in these days too. So, um, that inspired me to learn more about my own health. Later on, I got into the news and journalism. I noticed that in, you know, nothing was getting better and I had a great interest in health. So I said, well, maybe we could do something about it to help help uh, people find out what the truth was, what all the options were so they could make good decisions for themselves. Is that kind of a, cover it a little bit?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely it does. And, and so um, let me, you know, and you, so you said, your primary profession was basically being in journalism. Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly?
2: Right. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't a diet author and, you know, and there were of course no podcasts and there were no blogs, you know, or any of that kind of stuff. And I, my career, because of my interests, ended up going into journalism and into news and in the broadcast arena of course in normal news it's still pretty much the same today there was a phrase called if it bleeds it leads and it was mostly bad news and in fact um uh the executive editor of the uh San Diego Union who visited our school while I was there said that that the news is not meant to be like positive uh reinforcements of education it's it's basically supposed to draw you in and reinforce the negatives because that's what gets the eyeballs and but i didn't want to do just that i wanted to do something good with my life so i figured i would uh, pursue this from a journalistic perspective and the thing is is that at particularly at that time i didn't know what i was going to find i was in search of the perfect human diet and i had some people lined up that i wanted to go talk to and you know and then just pursue that course of investigation Um, from scratch. And, um, and it became a really fascinating journey, lots of things I never expected to find. And in fact, originally, I was only going to talk to Lauren Cordain and Mike Eads. And at the end of the interview with Lauren Cordain, he said, Well, you know who you need to go talk to is and he told me about Mox, the Max Planck Institute and I contacted them and they said, well, you got to come to the, our dig site in the south of France this summer before you come to the Institute and see us dig up the bones and, and all of that and follow the whole trail because this reveals the real human nutrition story. And, um, it, and it's fascinating because the things we thought we knew, and in fact, even today, uh, we think we know, um, are, are not quite uh, in line with the hard science uh, know, that exists that we're able to show now. We can actually prove what the authentic human diet is and then, you know, take it from there.
1: Hey, CD, before you get into that, I really want to get into that because I think it's fascinating. I love talking about anthropology. You know, we've had uh, guys like Mickey Bendor on and, uh, you know, I've seen some of the stuff coming out of Max Planck. Um, Back to the journalism thing and you talked about if it leads, it leads. And the reason is because we want, we want the clicks, like to put it in today's term, we want the view. Right. Right. Who, the reason we're doing that is, I assume, you know, there are, there are sponsors to TV shows where the revenue comes from. And so do you find that, I mean, and maybe I'm, you know, misinformed, but do you find that there is some desire to um, get views for uh, the advertising? Is that, is that, does that happen in, in print or broadcast well, journalism?
2: Well unfortunately, yes, you know it's the the news department is supposed to be completely separate from the sales and the other parts of the station or the network, and my own personal experience was and it was the last regular news job that I took was in Bangor Maine or channel Seven, you know an ABC station and every year the uh the Center for Science in public interest comes out with a uh, report of the best food best foods and the worst foods for you so I did a report on the seven best foods and the seven worst foods channel seven. Right. And uh, one of those, the number one worst food was um, noodles. One of the other one was McDonald's French fries, you know, stuff like that. And so I I put the story together and it goes to air and our new news director looks at it and says, well, you can't air that you have to change it because McDonald's is one of our big sponsors. And I said, well, but that's what the report says. And all the national news stations, not, Little Podunk Bangor, Maine has run this story as it is, you know, with the truth, you know, but they still wanted to change it. And, um, you know, and I've seen that in other places and other people lose their jobs because, you know, it offended sponsors. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, just like in science, it's like many of the scientists that I'm sure you've talked to and that I spoke with uh, during the course of the filming and since have said, well, you know, our stuff is suppressed. We can't tell the truth. If you go against what is the approved way of thinking, then, you know, you can actually just lose your whole career. So it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a sad state of affairs. So therefore, one of the nice things now is you can have independent journalism and it's easier in some ways to get that out thanks to the internet and platforms. The thing is, though, is that um, now we also have to be careful in the same way because when I was talking to Nina Teicholz, for example, is that Twitter and social media and Facebook, these are information silos. You know, everybody enlists into the silo that they want to hear and that they agree with. And in in fact, it's probably early in the show to mention it, but all, all due respect, the calls to action to do something about the vegans, you know, social media is not going to do it. It's a great information way to pass it on to new folks that have come on board and new doctors and say, Oh, look what I found. You ought to take a look at this. But otherwise, you know, it's the vegans are off on a whole another, you know, silo of their own. If that's a, if that's a farm term, I guess, if people don't know that. So, um, Oh, how appropriate a grain silo, right? There you go. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a unfortunate state of affairs. So you still have to do your own homework and unfortunately a lot of people you know, resist that
1: yeah yeah there's definitely a, more people don't don't have a clue and don't care to find a clue on you know what what to eat and that sort of thing and i think that's probably the the, the biggest driver of or lack of inertia is just most people just don't care and i think there's you know there's there's a small percentage of us to do and, and and people are polarizing what they believe uh, and it's getting the you know the bulk of the people out there and and, and, and i do agree that that while social media um can't be the only thing. There's a lot of things out there and I think like like the films that, that you've made and, and I guess maybe are planning to make in the future are also going to drive the needle. And there's a lot of ways to do it. And we just have to kind of attack on all fronts. And you know, I'm working with the researchers and you know, trying to get that stuff in the research. I'm trying to do some other things. So I mean that's that's off the topic. But let's talk about well, I mean again with the film because you did a film. You got a you got a film successfully made and produced and out there and, and on I believe it was on Netflix and and some of the other places that are out there now, did you find that that message was a little harder to get that film made than, than we might get for people that are that are promoting a message that we, you and I don't agree with? Do you think there's any kind of differential treatment in in the in the types of films that are being being? Oh, um, oh
2: yes, it's interesting, and I hope nobody from iTunes is listening. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. It's just, well, you know, for for example, uh, well, known let me back up before I. I'll get off on a sidebar here with iTunes is that, yeah, it is more difficult. It's more difficult to raise money for an independent journalistic effort. And also if it's not one that's affiliated with a how to, for example, there's a couple of other film efforts out there now in, you know, in the paleo keto world and all that kind of stuff. And they're really based on helping show people the way they can eat to improve their health, completely different ball game than trying to do, a journalistic investigation, which might ruffle some feathers, <laughs> you know, and, and also that there's, there's really no other, um, uh, there's really no other motivation to make it other than to try to help bring the truth forward. You know, it's, I, I don't have a, a coaching practice on journalism, so, you know, and that kind of a thing. And, um, you know, it is tougher and it's harder and, uh, but that's why you have to keep going at it. I mean, the first film took 10 years to finish from start to finish by the tip with writing and going back to school to learn how to do everything and fundraising. Even after I shot most of the material in 2006 and seven, it took two more years to finish raising the money to do post-production. So yeah, it, you know, it's a hard road um, for those kinds of things because they it's, it's a, and when you ask people for money, it's a (laughs) philanthrop, philanthropy. I better drink some more coffee here. (laughs) You know, um, it's a it's a philanthropic effort. It's Philanthropical, not, yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. I you know that's just not my word of the day. <laughs> so so yeah, you know it is tougher, but it, the distribution initially was not so tough because it was the the only one of its type, and uh, uh, and still from the scientific investigation investigation aspect, it is the only film of its type that looks into these areas that happen to reveal things that we're interested in you know, it, it established what the authentic human diet, it can tell you what the real paleo diet was, which was very controversial for a long time, and maybe still is. And, um, and it can also tell you what happened to us when we started eating grains, you know, it shows in the archeological not only in the archeological record, but in these bio of the collagen of the bones of the humans and Neanderthals and, uh, what happened to us. So, um, you know, it's really fascinating. If you want to know the science about what Sean is doing and, and Zach is doing, and is it Zach or Zach? Zach.
0: <laughs> Zach.
2: Okay. <laughs> Zach. There you go. I should have asked first. The that's the, Brooke, Brooke, that rep, the first reporter's thing you say when you interview someone is, would you please say and spell your first and last name? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, yeah. It's uh you know, it's really great that it can support the things that you guys are doing now because it really is the only science based, you know, a hard science film that shows what the authentic human diet is. And it just happens to go hand in hand with carnivore. So, you know, and, and, it, and it's interesting when it was just the paleo before you folks came along before the carnivore and keto people gained respect is there was a lot of resistance to this idea that paleo wasn't potatoes <laughs> you know and and in the upper paleolithic it is when humans came along the paleolithic is in three periods there's the the you know the middle and the early and the late and the late paleolithic is where we come along and humans and the, what we're reading then is what's relevant to us today and what we were eating then is primarily we were primarily carnivores we were in the same food web when you do these analysis as bears and wolves um and neanderthals and so uh so if you want to see the science of it, it come along for the ride go uh, go see the film the perfect human diet and you'll see the science behind what sean and zach are doing yeah it's interesting that's my commercial
1: i think it, i think people should watch the movie i think it was a, it was a very interesting movie and i and i it's interesting that you point out, you say the only hard science, you know, because we have nutrition science, which, you know, I've, I've constantly said there's problems with it because of it's limitations. You know, nutritional epidemiology is almost worthless. You know, it's not completely worthless, but by and large, it doesn't really instruct us very much. And then it's very difficult to do actual diet studies on humans that are actually meaningful, you know, as to right, say, right. what should we eat? You know, we can look at a few biomarkers short term, but we really don't know what they, those things mean. And, but there are people out there, you know, and I've had debates with them, uh, and they said, "Well, you know, you're you're complaining about nutritional epidemiology for being an impri- imprecise, sorry, an imprecise, imprecise, yeah, my word is gross. The, You're to the
2: day, your yeah, word right, to the day, yeah, imprecise, imprecise. Tool, yeah,
1: an imprecise tool uh, by which to judge science. But at the same time, they'll say, "Well, anthropology is just even worse; it's a total guess." And so, what do you say to that? As as to, far, as to being how how good of a science is anthropology? Because you know, you know, in all honesty, I mean. We we have a limited supply of bones that are that old. I mean, it's you know, and, and it's it's a lot of work to try to figure out what somebody ate from looking at their tooth, their teeth, or their bones. But tell us about the science and why we should why we should actually trust that science as opposed to uh, Loma Linda putting out a study looking at Seventh Adventists. Why, why should we why should we listen to that rather than the other the other?
2: Well, when I say the hard science, that's because of this relatively new um, radioactive bioanalysis is that you can you know, extract the collagen from humans and Neanderthals and, you know, other little furry creatures and uh, purify it. And then you can see what the nitrogen signatures are. You can see the real nitrogen signatures that tell you what they were eating, that animal, that human, that Neanderthal, when that collagen was developed. Now, anthropology in total is not all hard science. So this is this is one of the kind of global things that I'm not sure people understand. There are um, hard science divisions where they take these kinds of materials and they're able to break it down and analyze it and tell you exactly what they ate, exactly what that collagen came from. It's not a theory anymore. Whereas if you go, if, if you just have what I think a lot of people understand is anthropology is, Oh, you go dig up bones and you find a few of these bones, and a few of that bones. And you try to make a hypothesis like epidemiology (laughs) of saying, well, maybe they did this and maybe they did that. And um, we don't find any grains here, but grains don't survive as well as bones. But the, the truth is, is the reason we got the whole idea of the caveman is bones don't survive out in the open either for the most part, you know, only that's, they're in protected environments. That's why you find them in caves or in, in dig sites where they uh, were not exposed to the elements all the time. So, um, anthropology is really fascinating. There's a lot of different, uh, parts of it. Some are trying to figure out how people interacted with each other. Here comes one of our planes. And uh, can you tell, man, man not so much. A <laughs> <Yeah>, quiet one. <laughs> there's there's a, a small town with one airport. So, um, the, uh, Yeah. So it's really fascinating. I mean, in fact, one of the things you'll see in the film is a two million year old skull that was, you know, at the American museum of natural history, which is a skull that's not quite human and not quite the pre the predecessor, the other ancestor that it was from before. And, um, but it shows that there was a transition going on, you know, that, uh, that as we became human, our foreheads got flatter, you know, our jawlines changed, you know, it's, uh, our brain casing expanded because we were theoretically getting smarter. <laughs> That's arguable in this day and age. Um, uh, you know, so it's, there is hard science and there's other, other stuff that looks like it points to something. So in the same case with epidemiology and nutrition, if it looks like maybe it points to something, trying to ignore the prejudice that makes those decisions like what they think it's pointing to um, is then as you know, well, then you set up a study. You should have a randomized controlled study. You should have something that you can pull real better science out of, if not hard science in that particular case to help, uh, you know, make decisions. I mean, the grandfather of them all epidemiology is the China study, which has fueled the growth of the vegan and vegetarian movement. And the thing is, is, you know, uh, T. Colin Campbell says now that, well, it was the largest human study ever done. Well, at the time, it might have been the largest research into these kinds of, you know, epidemiological uh, moments. But what they looked for was, well, how can I take this information like Ansel Keys did in separating just the studies out that he wanted to validate his point of view is Mr. Campbell did the same thing. You know, they, they said, well, if you give them protein, milk protein that, and it gives them cancer, therefore it'll give humans cancer. And the thing is, is that, you know, if people speak like they are an authority and like they know what they're saying, a lot of people tag along, you know, the, um, the lady who's the nutritionist at the, New York Times. Forgive me, I'm bunking on her name. Anyway, she was a a, a student in the same classes as T. Cole and Campbell. Now, I haven't. Uh, they haven't answered my calls on this one, but I just think it's kind of curious that the where he got the most promotion came from a classmate. You know, and you know, did, does that mean anything? Well, not necessarily. It's good to have connections, right, to get you in somewhere. But it's it's just kind of well the stuff, it wasn't hard science, you know, and it was the, uh, it got a a lot of promotion. The Grand Prix of epidemiological science, it was called in the New York Times article. So, and that stuck. So anyway, it, it hasn't changed. You know, the whole vegetarian and vegan movement is predicated on these kinds of belief systems. And now part of what you, you go up against, I I see when people are attacking you online and whatnot, is that they're sticking to only, again, the science that validates their position, regardless that there's other new and better science that says, well, wait a minute, we got that wrong. So why don't we all step back for just a moment and say, well, maybe some of what you're saying over here is valid, and what can we do to make that better? But over here, what you're claiming to bash animal foods is not true. And, you know, it's the commercial airlines put out more than that. Hospitals put out more, you know, greenhouse gases than that. And they're they're just trying to find a convenient, um, you know, patsy to take down on something like that. And unfortunately, people don't challenge it. In fact, you may like this. Within the last two weeks on Shark Tank, which I don't normally watch, um, a vegan dog food out of Silicon Valley got an additional 500,000 plus funding on top of the original 7 million they received from Silicon Valley investors that also, a lot of them that back the vegan films and things like that, to make this vegan dog food, which they use the same claims that the, the films and the vegans do about sustainability and environment and health as a justification for needing to have this new vegan dog food product and the secret sauce is they've you know they've got their vats of stuff they can bubble up there in in um Silicon Valley and what it turns out to be is mushrooms and 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 10 percent of those mushrooms which they're calling their high protein secret sauce is mixed with oatmeal you know and other things and and You know, they got one little dog, and then they flavor it to taste like animal food somehow without using animal products, and they get a couple of little puppies to eat it. So, uh, you know, but what gets me is there they are on national television in front of millions of people, and no one challenges the why for that. They had no sales, zero sales of any kind yet. But it's this whole idea that well everything else like this, the beyond burger, you know for humans and the impossible burger and stuff is taking off, therefore you know this will take off too and um, it's just flabbergasting to me that these kinds of things happen, and they're still testing a kibble, they don't have a kibble yet so but it's that kind of thing that we're up against we're, we're, that there there is a they have a momentum all across the board on television, on entertainment, on news and whatnot, that unless the uh, truth is exposed to the general population in, you know, on the playing fields that they're used to seeing that kind of stuff, it's, I don't know that we can ever overcome that momentum. And it only needs to be overcome to try to help people that would otherwise be hurt, really. It's not you know, if you want to be vegetarian, you want to eat that stuff. Great. More power to you. Go ahead. As Mike Eads would say, the more steak for me. So, you know, um, uh, that's not the point, but the point is if you're out there doing a movie that gets incredibly popular and it's telling people misinformation and scaring them and driving them into a lifestyle that could uh, permanently damage their babies, you know, and their kids, not only themselves, then, then that's wrong. (laughs) you know, and, and especially if you do that knowingly. And if, if we don't step up and if we don't, you know, call them on the carpet for that, you know, just to set the record straight, you know, then then enough people will be helped that uh, it will have been a worthwhile effort because they're always gonna be vegetarian foods. You know, that's, that's, it's not the point is to put them out of business unlike they would like to put you out of business. So, you know, it's a, it's a whole different ball game and I think that's something we really need to take seriously. I don't, I'm not sure if our side hurts enough
0: yet. <laughs> yeah. CJ, you've had, you've highlighted a few things that have just interested me throughout my kind of journey through nutrition. And like, one of the things that I kind of noticed early on was like, there are definitely like folks and organizations out there that will willingly try to deceive you. And it's not even a very legitimate attempt at deception. Sometimes, sometimes it's just an erroneous stat that's like, you know, based on something that some study, as some weak epidemiological study, that, that they tortured the data enough to get it to say exactly what they wanted to say, or they cherry picked what they wanted to say, and, and they come up with this like uh, I think the most obvious one was like uh, I think it was cowspiracy Something about fifty-one percent of global greenhouse gases are was the original quote, and it's like that. Yeah, I just, know. It's so absurd. Like it's just by what the <laughs> hell, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Same like, guys. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's it's just it's so absurd that uh, you know, like if you just dive into any of the stuff for, you know, an hour, you'll find out that, that had they done that, they would have found out that that's a deceptive statue. And clearly they did do that. Like there's no way they didn't. They looked at it long enough to know that that data wasn't accurate, but they still decided to put it out there. So you start to recognize some of these groups that are, that you just know are trying to deceive you and you can eliminate some of that, like noise, I guess, in terms of just identifying where to start or where to kind of take your own nutrition journey. But like, ultimately, you know, I'm at a point where it's like, I, I've tried enough things where I'm pretty confident. I know what makes me feel the best. Um, so if you're going to tell me I need to do an overhaul, <laughs> you better show me something very convincing, you know, something that that's really going to get me to, to think that I need to go back and do something I've already tried. And hope for a different outcome. If that kind of well, makes
2: sense. well yeah, that that's just it. <clears throat> you know, it's um, you know, and I don't know, you know, I, I'm I'm a little bit older than even you, Sean. So, and when I grew up, you know, it, it there was a whole different feeling about doing things, you know, that were harmful or knowingly wrong, you know, and still doing it. And in, in this case, like many things, it, I, I think it's not only to promote the way of life, but for profit. You know, the, it's the the Kids that made what the health are the same ones that made Cowspiracy. They raised over $200,000 in, in on one of the fundraising platforms from in overnight. They raised 100000 in 24 hours. Who, who, nobody on our side has that kind of loyalty or response or emotional uh, um, connection with people to get, do that kind of thing. And if it makes you feel any better, the folks that brought you Cowspiracy will soon bring you C-spiracy with all the same information uh, about how we're destroying the oceans, thanks to animal agriculture. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's, um, it's a sad state of affairs. And once again, a lot of people just believe the head headlines rather, and they're, you know, clickbait and it's, they're inflammatory to, to try to get a response out of you. And a lot of young people I think are very, um, well-intentioned, you know, they're, they're at a, they're at a time in their life where they want to change the world they want to, you know, they not only want to feel better, but they want to, they want to make change that uh, has an impact so that their world will leave things a little better than, you know, their parents' world did. And I think there's a lot of innocence involved in that. You know, they grow up with all the little toys with the big eyes, the little cows and the little things and like that. And they're friends, you know, animals, animals become their buddies. And um, they, you know, I don't know why they don't feel the same about dancing carrots and <laughs> that, that kind of thing that we have to protect the dancing carrots but it's uh, I think they, they have humanized them in a way that is uh, not good in the long run to, to understand that there are, are things in life that aren't that way I mean we animals are food you know yes we have domesticated some of them and yes we've turned some of them into pets but that's not the way it, nature intended you know i mean i think dogs are great i have my second little rescue pup here nick and um, uh, of course they were wolves but they, they they worked out a relationship with humans that was beneficial to both but the yeah i i know i'm just kind of wandering all over the place here now i'm i'm getting off on this uh this this track but the the thing is is that if someone doesn't show them what you talked about that the other side at least make the other side available you know it's not like you have to do what I say. We found out your vegan pals are wrong. You know, and so therefore you shouldn't do that because I say so. Isn't that what you say, well, you know, it didn't cause fifty percent of global warming and now it's likely less than two percent of any kind of contribution. And the real trouble is the plane you're flying and the car you're driving, you know, which a lot of folks don't want to hear that. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh the But to to put it out there in a way like the first film did, it's it was a journalistic investigation. It's like, look, look what we found. At least now it's there to elevate the conversation. And you know that there is more to the story than what you've been told. And you have more information that you can then decide what to do with your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: Charles, just just, you know, I mean, and there's obviously covered a lot of ground there, Uh, you know, just about the environmental argument. Yeah, I mean, certainly just just from common sense standpoint, it's like you know if we believe that man is causing global climate change and there's there's plenty of people out there that don't believe that but if you do believe that and and the scientific community by and large believes that uh it's hard to make the argument that these animals whether they're cows or buffalo or you know megafaunal animals that have been on the planet for you know tens of millions of years doing what they've been doing eating grass you know burping and putting out manure forever you know, before even humans were around, are now the cause of this when we can clearly see that, uh, you know, the jets that are flying over your head and Richard Branson and his Virgin Airlines and all the fossil fuels were burning is a new thing. That is a new thing. And so just from a common sense standpoint, I mean, it, it just seems like it doesn't even pass muster to blame the cows. But um, yeah. beyond that, so I want to get back to, you know, the hard science and because people that don't know this, and, and we've covered this a couple times in the show, but it. I think it just bears continuing to, to repeat it because we don't know who's listening to what shows uh, and may or may not have heard this stuff. We had Mike Eats talking about this. We had Mickey Bendor talking about it. But let's talk about the Max Planck Institute a little bit. Let's talk about the, a little more about the science of how we know what we're supposed to eat, what they, what, what they actually found so, so people can, can make their own decisions based on at least a little bit more information.
2: Well, sure. You know, and that was really fascinating and completely unexpected. And that, like I said, I was directed that way. It's not something I knew about and I didn't go there to try to prove a point. And in fact, I didn't really realize the discovery that we had recorded there until I sat back and was able to look at the tapes in the studio because, you know, when you're engaged in conversation, you don't always remember what was said or what you said. And as it turns out that there is this way of a, a radioactive bioanalysis that at that time, was in the UK and in Germany, in Leipzig, um, where they can gather these bones from all around the world, human bones, Neanderthal bones, animal bones, and reduce, take out the collagen, purify it to make sure you're getting the right reading. And then it'll show the nitrogen signature left behind by the foods that those creatures or those, you know, humans ate. And it was, it was really a revelation because it's the first time that we had hard science to say, you know, there's a lot of theories. Okay, well yeah, we ate animals, but it must have been mostly plants. You know, that was kind of the big theory even before I went out there and started asking questions. And um but now we know that in all these sites pre-agriculture, in all these sites all over the world, plants were not a big part of the routine. What what they did is when they did this bioanalysis, they take those nitrogen signatures and they put them onto a chart that they call a food web, and at the bottom of the chart are all the you know the bunnies and the reindeer and the little herbivores and that kind of thing. And at the top are the carnivores because of their nitrogen signature, and it was Neanderthals and, like I said, bears and wolves. Well, and guess who appeared? Us. So 65,000 years ago in the south of France at this site, it shows that we were top-level carnivores. you know, the omnivore thing hadn't even come up yet. You know, that the fact that we can be omnivore is a survival mechanism. It's not a a preferred mechanism for, you know, the way we were built. And it's, um, so, so that's been the most fascinating thing out of that. And like I said, you know, that was the summer of 2006. So, you know, it's been 13 years since I've was there in person. And when I contacted them again, here goes another decade. And the science, the hard science remains the same. It's not the theoretical science. I mean, every once in a while you see, oh, a scientist from the Max Planck Institute who works in a different division found a tooth and there was, you know, some kind of pollen left behind. So they must have eaten some kind of grain. Therefore they were grain eaters. Well, that doesn't stand up at all. That still comes into the epidemiological realm where well we found this one tooth and gee maybe whereas this radioactive bioanalysis they have thousands of bones from all over the world this is it's not like okay we got a sample of 20 and we think that this is the answer you know so so i think that's one of the things that isn't often um Highlighted. I mean, even when a lot of the the doctors and folks and they talk about this radioisotopic analysis and whatnot, it's kind of a little, oh yeah, and there was this, and it said we did this, and then they go on to other stuff. But that really is, I don't know if it's the right term, but kind of the holy grail. It's it's like this is the stuff that really validates the other things you're talking about, is because now we know with the same kind of analysis, if you take human bones after the agricultural revolution begins after they started eating primarily grains you know you get the we dropped four to six inches in height they got weak and brittle bones they were not robust they're you know rotting around the orbits of the eyes increased dental you know caries it's uh, and i think dr reeds mentioned that even with uh, with egyptian mummies you've got soft tissue which also shows that they had other issues cardiac issues and things like that um so that's the kind of evidence, the kind of strong evidence that, you know, kind of gets passed aside now. And it's like, well, wait a second. This is why when we go do keto and we do all the, the new testing on keto and stuff, well, gee, how about that? It it does good things. Well, it does good things because this is what humans were designed to eat. This is what humans were eating when we were at our peak, when we were the healthiest, when we were the most robust, you know, and, that, at least in theory, is when we became the smartest and the dominant species on the planet was because of the advantages that came from this type of evolution, this type of biological evolution. You know, Now we can fuss with it because we have different kind of tools and interfere with biological evolution. But um, I think um, that where we came from uh, maybe needs a little more respect.
0: This episode of Human Performance Outliers is brought to you by fellow Carnivore and Legal Shield associate Doug Lee. Through Legal Shield's smartphone app, Doug is helping to level the playing field by bringing affordable legal services to everyone right on their phones. For just $24.95 a month, families have instant access to a local team of lawyers working on your behalf, providing legal advice, traffic violation assistance, will preparation, IRS audit assistance. Family and domestic services, and contract and document review, just to name a few. Doug also offers ID Shield, the most comprehensive identity protection and recovery service in all of North America. Members get access to a licensed private investigator to help resolve any identity theft issues that arise. Last year alone, there were more than 780 reported data breaches compromising the identities of nearly 170 million people. Responding quickly to ID theft is the best way to prevent serious complications and protect your good name. Doug offers business plans and gun owners plans as well, so head over to douglee.info. That's d o u g l e e. dot i n f o to get the app and learn more about how Legal Shield has been protecting families for over forty years. So, Jay, yes, you, Jay it, said, it,
1: oh, go ahead. George.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna, just gonna. Mention some stuff and then ask a, a quick question. I mean, we had a guest on yesterday, Sylvia Tabor, and she, uh, she like went through the whole gamut of different nutritional approaches and eventually found herself following a, a meat-based, carnivore type diet. And one, one thing she's done really well that maybe separates her from a lot of folks is she's tracked a lot of things in terms of like really precise metrics, blood work, different types of stuff done to kind of see what's actually going on. And one of the things she mentioned yesterday that stuck out the most to me was when she first started. Before she started, I should say, she went and got a DEXA scan and got her bone density measured, and then went back. I think it was four weeks later after following a carnivore diet, and there was an increase in bone density um, in four weeks. And so, like when when you that's interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you tell us like. You know that the story you shared about just the bone remains showing that variance when we went from all or primary meat diet to a grain-based diet—we see these things in the archaeological record. It starts to kind of make sense. It's like these stories that Sylvia shares should not be a surprise to us. We have a, we have a, a trail of, of evidence that that would actually make quite a bit of sense. But for some reason, like you said, that gets pushed to the side or not highlighted and. Um, I, I, guess my question is like, do you think that's just because the people who have this information are just small voices, um, not funded in a way like you could with the profit margins you're going to see with like granola and cereal companies <laughs> and things like that, Coca-Cola. Oh,
2: oh you mean Max Planck type folks or pe- people like us?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. People like, well, even you, for an example, like you, you clearly have this information and, uh, are willing to share it. And it seems like until maybe very recently it's somewhat fell on deaf ears
2: well yeah you know it's it's you're you're trying to break through a wall of disinformation and it's uh and in the news or, or for example when the film first came out and it hit number 1 it was all a big deal mm-hmm. and um normally that's when you get to go on tv shows <laughs> because <laughs> you know the morning news shows you know in fact yeah i know ellen's producers watched it because you know, our PR people sent him the disc. And I thought, well, gee, you know, you don't have to believe this, but at least then, you know, you're able to say, you're able to say that, well, gee, there's this other science out there. And, and, and part of what that revealed was if you're going to be a vegan or vegetarian, you got to eat, you got to have B12, you know, you got to have these other essential nutrients. It's not to bash vegetarianism. It's that it clearly establishes the things you need if you want to survive that way. But, you know, we, You know, in five years, I haven't been able to get any traction on uh, regular television or, in fact, and and Nina tried to get some um, uh, recent science on Fox News, and they had actually booked this fellow. I apologize. I don't know who he is offhand. Um, But then at the last minute, they changed their mind, and they wouldn't put him on because it would have um, shown that the Fox doctor had been wrong for as long as he'd been on Fox about these nutritional things, and they don't want to be shown wrong, you know I'm, that's one of the the hurdles that we have now. Is uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that go, ah, we've been saying the wrong thing for 20, 30 years, but th- they don't have that character, that kind of character, or maybe it w- is there money involved and why not? Where they would say, gee, we learned something new, you know, and thank God because now let's do this. But as you say, you know, if you're sponsored by You know, General Mills. General Mills has a lot of other interests besides Epic. You know, that's just kind of a laid thing to kind of broaden. You know, try to take care of everybody in whatever you know way of eating that they want. But um, yeah, it's a tough nut. You know, it's uh, it's the the places where you think it would be a no-brainer, they they just haven't happened. And when. Um, Forks Over Knives came out and Dr. Oz, whose wife is a vegetarian and he believed in it, they had those filmmakers on twice, you know, promoting their way of thinking and it's filled with the bad science. You know, that was that was the kind of the film, you know, granddaddy that did all that. So, um, but yeah, it, it's really hard and that's why the things that you and I do, um, you just got to keep at it if you hope to make a positive difference.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I understand the uh the uh sort of difficulties and the obstacles you have to come and there's a lot of moneyed interests that, that, that are out there. Um, I am a little bit hopeful, you know. I was asked to speak to a you know, a Facebook group in the Philippines yesterday. They have four hundred and thirty thousand members and they're all wanting to hear this message of carnivore. So we you know, I think there is some hope with alternative media that, that, that you, can, you can reach a lot of people, even as much as you might have with, with you know, you know, traditional TV over time. And I think it's going to continue to grow. But I want to go back to a point you made about uh, the, you know, the Max Planck stuff with the bones. Uh, because of literature I've read on that typically has always come out of Europe. I've seen the European data. And, and then the counter to that will be, well, yeah, they were, it was cold up there and they had to eat animals but you're saying they got bones from all over the world. Can you expand upon that? Are they finding stuff in Africa and Asia and, and, and other places that would support warm weather humans still being primarily carnivorous?
2: Well, they their dig sites, like I said, are all over the world and they're in the Middle East and, you know, they're in the Far East and whatnot. I would have to go back to their site to see all the ones that they've published. And, um, you know, I, I'm only informed by what the professors there told me and, but they keep saying the same thing, is that what we find pre-agriculture is that humans were meat eaters. Humans require animal, meat and animal fats in order to have optimal health. I think that's one of the things that's really great about what you're doing. And the same thing that the Max Planck shows and, and what we came away with on the film is that, that these are not um, th- these meat and animal fats are required for optimal human function. Because that's you know that's what we grew on, and that's what you know that's what our bodies expect, and you know so so I think yes that you know all you can do is to say that those kind of sites validate that, and um, it's only after agriculture that we start running into problems that you know that when you dig up bones and find out that you know this is a problem. Well, mind you, and it, and it just occurred to me the animals, by the way, that were available. In the early Paleolithic, you know, in Africa, in England, in Europe, were lar- there were lots of large herbivores that no longer exist there. It's like who would think if you're going to London that you'd be hunting rhinoceros? You know, <laughs> you know, you go to the o- oldest dig site that they can find in Schoningen, you know, in Germany, that's over ten thousand animal bones, mostly horses. That's where the oldest, you know hunting spears are found that, that still exist. You know, it's, it, as you, Zach said, it should be a no brainer, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, I, a lot of people would like to say, oh, well, that was then, this is now, what they did doesn't count for us, you know, oh, they died young, which is also not true, you know, there were just fewer of them, you know, and they had health problems, but they weren't the same health problems that we had, you know, they could be lunch to some, Carnivore, you know, and we rarely have to do it with that. Or an infection, you know. That's that's the things that were the highest risks. It's mostly the injuries and things they could get hunting for food.
1: You Ginger, know? Let me let me just extra, expand upon a statement you just made because it's a common misconception. Is you know you know cavemen? Yeah, they they didn't get heart disease, but they only lived to twenty five. What do you say about that? What does the actual data show us about life expectancy back then, and and, and more about what you just talked about?
2: Yeah, well, they have found individuals that are as long-lived as we are. They have found up in their 80s and whatnot. It's just that, you know, they haven't found a lot of them. So that I think there's an assumption often that if they did not live as long, the reason was because of their diet, like the things that we're facing today. But that's not it. You know, the, they had a whole different kinds of threats to their health and their well-being and there weren't as many people. <laughs> They're just, you know, we didn't have the vast populations. In fact, we didn't start getting vast populations until people could settle down, stay in one place and eat grain and domesticated animals, you know, and, and, you know, and milk and cheese and things like that. Um, uh, that was the only time we had such a rapid and large expansion of the population. So it was great for population, but not good for our health. And, um, you know, so I think that's uh, that's the really what it comes down to there.
0: Yeah, and I think it even just kinda highlights what we already know too, like uh, you know, just modern society, you know, we you, look at a rumen even like a cow, you know, it's gonna live on average life especially longer when we're taking care of it, having it access to a veterinarian, you know, feeding it on a regular basis, that sort of thing, versus it trying to survive in the wild, um, where I think the, the stat is like was it half of infant ruminants in the wild get killed before their first birthday? And it's like, you know, it, nature's cruel. <laughs> it's Well, it's yeah. Not, <laughs> well, I love what Dr. Eads and Our life expectancy drops, I'm sure.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> and you know, that there, there, you know, five or six animals that became great to be de- domesticated. The ones that couldn't be domesticated haven't been, you know, I loved it. Dr. Eads, when I was chatting with him a long time ago, he said, you know, cows, you know, if it wasn't for us, they'd probably be extinct. Mm-hmm. He says they're slow and they're dumb, <laughs> you know, and, and if they hadn't become
0: food animals, they just probably wouldn't even be here, you know, so there you go. Cool. If you need to go grab your power charger, though, CJ, go ahead and grab it. We can we can just chat. Yeah, because I, I ended
2: up setting up in another room. I'll be right back. Yeah, there. no, it's not a
0: big deal at all. I, I got to ask Sean more about his background picture anyway. <laughs> you know what? You know what? The first thing I thought when I saw it is I saw those tiny little chives on it. And it reminded me of your, one of your more recent YouTube Oh, my video. Here, I accidentally
1: ate the chive, and now I can't be a carnivore anymore. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not, I think that's a pretty good background. Maybe I'll just do a different background for every show uh, yeah, you know or
0: something like that, just for fun. You can be our themed background. I'll be our, our business social media advertisement <laughs> background.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll do the fun theme for the yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Um, okay, CJ's coming back. You know, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. You know, I, I, I you know I don't know if you're you're seeing we're kind of seeing maybe it's because of the guests we're picking, but we're getting a lot of the same information that kind of supports that we should be eating a lot of meat.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's it just you know when you really start to kind of look into the stuff deeper, it's it's really hard to argue against it. I think. Uh, from, Especially from a biological standpoint. Yeah. Hey, CJ, let me, can you hear me, CJ? Yes, I can. We're back.
1: Hey, so let me ask you, because you've got another film in the works now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and can you tell us and so you know you made a very important point. You know, let's 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 make the assumption that, you know, way back when fifty thousand years ago when we had Cro Magnons running around and we only had, you know, five hundred thousand humans on the planet or whatever the numbers were back then. And We got all these animals, and we could. It was an all-you-can-eat meat buffet, and there was no problem with access to meat. And we were all living, fun, we were all feeling good, and didn't have all these chronic diseases. And if we could avoid the, the tiger eating us, and or the lion eating us, and, and infection, we'd live a long, healthy, happy life, and be feeling good. And now we have the situation where we 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 you know developed agriculture. Now we got seven point seven billion, soon to be nine nine or ten billion people on the planet, and we can no longer go back to that. Um, and we, you know, we're going to be forced to either select population control or just have a population that lives with chronic disease and and kind of suboptimal existence. Um, what are you, you know, what, what is your new film about? And do you talk about that anymore? I mean, is is a perfect human diet changed in any way? Or I mean, well, well, tell me the premise of your new film.
2: Well, the new film it's came up, it's called dispelling the lies right now, because a lot of the. And it was predicated on the fact that What the Health and um, and these vegan and vegetarian films continue to come out with misinformation and disinformation, whether it be in the health area, the sustainability area, and the environment, and that kind of thing. And once again, it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. You know, this, this is really harming people. This is harming a lot of people. And therefore, again, at least it would be great to have the correct information out there on the same playing field that... These films, um, you know, get when they are released, and it's not stopping; it's relentless. Um, um, James Cameron, Avatar, you know, and Titanic. He's got a new film making the rounds at the film festivals that he executive produced called The Game Changers, and it's all about sports and that you don't need, you know, the biggest, the world's biggest myth that you need animal proteins for strength and health. And La, la, la. that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it has a lot of believers and a lot of momentum. So I think one of the things that people need to understand and why I, I've been asking for support for the new film, you know, dispellingthelies.com, if you want to look into it and, uh, and contribute it to that effort, that would be wonderful. But the, the thing is, is that these, these people, the reason, you know, folks think it's about Netflix. And it's not about Netflix and, you know, even only feature films can end up on iTunes and Netflix and cable systems and things like that, as well-intentioned as everybody, you know, there's all sorts of different documentary projects and stuff going on. Um, But if they're not a feature film, they can't get on those platforms is one of the one thing to be aware of. And the other one is that these films, when they were released, got extra special attention because they were released in theaters. Now, why does it matter at movie theaters? Not as many people go to movie theaters, some say, as online. Well, because unless you show in a movie theater for a week during a regular schedule, the LA Times cannot review you. You You know, and if you don't do that, you are unlikely, and the things that we're interested in, to have an opportunity to get on television, you know, for shows or anything like that. So the thing is, is that there's a whole different level of entree, and also of exposure to the population that you know isn't on YouTube, you know, or or isn't on Netflix. And there's still a whole lot of people there. Um, that only happens if you're out in the world in a movie theater, and then of course backed up with all that stuff. You know, you go onto cable television, and then you go onto iTunes and Netflix and Hulu and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so yes, it's called dispelling the lies, you know, as I said, we're still raising funds, we've done very well, Clovis is our major sponsor at the moment, and they give us $50,000, which is brilliant, you know, but it takes about three to $500,000 to really do a brilliant film and get it out and all over the world, and it sounds like a lot of money to some folks, but it's less than a national television commercial, you know, so, uh, and, you know, and it's, really these kinds of things in filmmaking for filmmakers, it's, it's, you're, you know, I'm in the arts, you know, I, I don't have, you know, you have to reach out and ask for help in sponsorships and, and uh, you know, we keep pursuing that, you know, but it's, it's also a little more controversial. So there are folks, you know, in the keto world and the paleo world and, and whatnot that you think would be a no brainer to support this kind of an effort, but it's, it's a little hot to handle, you know, because they, there a lot of folks just don't want to ruffle any feathers which is you know they're right and they don't have to have a mission to try to um bring out the truth and set the record straight and that's so that's really what the new project is and it's it's for all those kinds of motivations like i said that the the other side has a momentum and it's relentless and there's no one standing up to say well wait a second that's not quite right you know and that you know and i'm getting stories from you know, folks that, you know I don't have permission to use their names right now, but they, because they were vegetarian, you know, their children are not normal and never will be, you know, and then they had more children when they weren't vegetarian and those kids are great, you know? So it's kind of like you said, Zach, it's, it should be a no brainer, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a sad state of affairs. So, I mean, I guess our motivation You know, I think we ought to be more self-motivated because there's going to be a lot of problems coming down the track with taxes and availability and things like that. There's a true effort in government and and elsewhere to um, make it harder to access animal foods, you know, and healthy animal foods and more expensive to do that. Um, You know, it's just not reflected very much in the marketplace yet to folks like us that are really concerned about it, but it's coming. You know, and it's happened in, in other countries. And so if that's not enough motivation, I'm just hoping that people are heartfelt enough about, you know, the the innocence, the innocent folks that are going to get taken down by that. And if there's something we can do about it, then, you know, let's do something about it.
0: CJ, one other thing I, that you said that I found kind of interesting is like, uh, I think there is beginning to be a little bit of a groundswell in this idea of, uh, paying attention to kind of who or what is funding certain things. And, and people are kind of starting to look into that. I think we're starting to see it in politics. I know, like I was listening to a, a political podcast the other day and they were basically kind of more or less bragging about who could have the smallest average donor. And it was like, I like that found, found that interesting because I'm thinking like that's a that's a marketing like advantage to them to say, hey, my average donor is only $10 versus I'm getting these, these massive donations uh, from like bigger companies and things like that, that are clearly going to be looking for something in return down the road. Do you see that same kind of mentality starting to kind of occur in like the film and documentary side of things too, or that's a nice little thing to have in your back
2: pocket or, you know, I, um, I think that's designed around the platforms that think the push social proof is that if you have, you know, a hundred thousand people that gave a dollar, that that counts more than one company putting in 50 or 100. And, you know, it's great if you can get that, but it doesn't make it any better. (laughs) So, you know, honestly, from a filmmaker's standpoint, it's that when I finished the first film and I was looking for post-production money, you know, I went out and I asked everybody and I said, but you have, if you want to contribute to this, that you cannot have any say in the content. I mean, that that was a requirement. Yet, when the film comes out, of course, the people that don't like you are going to claim that people <laughs> had an effect or that you're just a tool for somebody or, or that, oh, yeah, that beef organization gave you $5,000 for post-production. So therefore, you know, it's all been propaganda. And um, so at least for me now as a, as a filmmaker, because, you know, I don't have a – Email list of 200,000 people to say, "Hey, folks, we each put in 50 cents, and you know, we got this thing handled." Um, it's, uh, you know, the truth is, is I think you have to go for everybody. You have to ask for everybody. And in my case, that it's, it's all hands off. The people that want to come in, it's because they believe in the effort and in, in what's being done. You know, there were there were people that in on the first one because they were in the animal protein industry. Made anonymous contributions because they said, "Look, CJ, we don't want people to claim and point fingers and say that you know you did this message because we gave you some money." And um, now, it's, just as the counterpoint is, no one seems to have any trouble with any of the vegan vegetarian films being backed by anyone—you know, Bill Gates, <laughs> you know, <laughs> any any of the Silicon Valley millionaires who have a particular point of view they want to say, but no, nobody goes, well, wait a minute. What the hell? (laughs) Why, you know, why did Leo decry? That one's even lower. (laughs) They're coming after us. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, as a filmmaker, I don't think that that, I think it's a marketing tool maybe that, that you can rally people to say, you know, gee, if, you know, if we can do it as a community and do it with smaller donations, and that uh, makes it appear as though there's less influence from anywhere, but great, you know. Um, for me, I, you know, I, I'm completely honest, I would take it either way, because it's not going to influence the content. You know, that's not the way I make movies. So, you know, it's not like I said, hey, hey Sean, I'll interview for my movie if, yes. <laughs> you know, you, you do this you know, um, that's not the way that kind of a thing works. So, um, yeah, it's interest, It's an interesting point. And, you know, it, and there's a lot of people asking for money now. It's, it's more challenging all the time because of that. I think also because of social media is the way a lot of people are approached to raise money is that, you know, people like and wave and all that kind of stuff more than they actually go contribute. You know, they say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, but. Maybe that's where your micro donations work out. It's like, don't like me, give me 99 cents, right? (laughs) You know, and together we'll, we'll take this challenge on, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic and things are definitely changing uh, in more ways than one. Um, And I like it, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, next week I'm talking with the NCBA, you know, National Cows Beef Association from the beef checkoff folks about getting some research funded, you know, on some of these carnivore style diets and, I have no qualms about it. whoever wants to pay for it. I just want to get it done. I don't care where it comes from. It's not going to change the integrity of what we're going to do. We're going to just you know, have a bunch of people eat meat and see what the hell happens. I mean, I suspect I know what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, it's still going to get out there. Uh, and, and, you know, and they're going to criticize. People that don't like the fact that I, that I promote eating animal foods, they're, not going to, they're, they're going to complain about it regardless. It doesn't matter the exactly. funding source. They're going to complain about the methodology. They're going to complain about the conclusions. It just means get it done. Get your film done. doesn't matter how you do it because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all head bait, headlines and clickbait anyway. And so you've just gotta, you just got to get that message out there any way you can. And, you know, like I said, you know, some of the, you know, obviously if you look at some of the stuff from like PETA they do, I mean the propaganda they put, it's just outright blatant lies that are so obvious, but no one cares. You know, yeah, it's, like not yeah, even, I know. it's not even like they're trying to disguise this stuff anymore. It's just like ridiculous total it, ridiculous but it but it but it makes people laugh and it, and, it, and it 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 just reinforces their message and it doesn't even have to be true it's just uh, you know it's 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 really sad it really is
2: yeah i know it's uh you yeah, know as Nina says an alternate reality so but, you know that we're in but yeah i think that's great the you know and the people and that's the other thing is that you know most um that i'm aware of uh, the grass fed farmers and ranchers and things like that are small and they don't really have a lot of money to put up for this stuff. You know, There and like this winter was horrible for people in the Midwest. You know, there's a lot of other financial demands and the only people in the beef industry that I know of are, it's the big organizations where they bring everyone together like the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So, you know, good luck there. That's, and because you're a doctor, that helps, (laughs) you know, having having an md is is a, a much bigger draw than having a uh, a movie as <laughs> your credit you know it's good for you you know and they have somebody new running that too so maybe there, there's some new interests
1: yeah i mean they actually you know i don't know if you know back uh, about two weeks ago we had our first carnivore convention and oh, yes. ncba showed up to that and they came there and saw our presentations and they met people that their lives have been dramatically impacted and it and it it resonated with them and they basically said, you know, we're, we're, we're open to, to help. And I thought that was a very powerful thing. And that's why I have some hope that this is going to, this is going to continue to go. But I mean, I, I really think that, you know, people like you doing the films, you know, we just have to attack it from every single angle, every opportunity we have. I mean, you, you look at the, you know, as much as people like to poke fun at vegans and criticize them and, and tell them they're silly and, you know, think they're doing the wrong thing. They have, to their credit, been very well organized, they're very well funded, Uh, they've got people positioned in places that can make an impact, and and they're doing it. And like you said, we're gonna be seeing meat taxes proposed, whether they pass or not, depends who who our politicians are most likely, depends what companies are gonna get behind to to influence those those politicians. Uh, As you you know, Bill Gates is investing in fake meats, Richard Branson's investing in fake meats, you've got all these billionaires Uh, putting in a lot of money and and they know that that is going to be a lucrative industry for them. And so they need to create the market. And how do they do that? By demonizing, you know, real food, you know, animal products by, you know, they're, they're ruining the environment. They're killing your health. I personally think the easiest argument is a health argument because I can, I can put somebody on an all meat diet and say, go look in the mirror. And and they know, they know the answer. Mm -hmm. those people. The environmental argument becomes harder because I can't step outside, look at the sky and say, oh my gosh, definitely the cows are, are impacting you. I'm dependent upon someone telling me that answer. I have to listen to some atmospheric science say, it's getting worse, it's getting better, this is what we think it is, and, and so it becomes more difficult. The health argument, in my view, will be the easiest one to win. And then the ethical yeah, one is just going kind to of be where do, you, where do you draw your line? That's a religious battle. So, so I think it's going to come down to, you know, obviously the effort we've all got to put an effort in there and and kind of coalesce and and hopefully all the team all the people in the low carb paleo ketogenic carnivore community stands up together and says look we all have a shared common interest to get behind the message of of not you know real food you know and and some of it's going to be animal based doesn't have to all be animal based but we need to include that in part of our diet and not let it be taken from us or or restricted and made made difficult we just had a just before you, we had a podcast with a guy, uh, Brett Lloyd, who basically lifelong clinical depression, bipolar disorder, psychi- uh, you know, depression with psychi- uh, psychotic features, severe, severe mental health disease. And by adopting an animal's diet, he has basically cured himself of that. And so if you tell people like that that are literally their existence is miserable without those, with those animal products, that no, we're not going to let you have that because because we think cow farts are uh, global temperature. You're going to end up injuring a lot of people. And, and like I said, I don't know what your motivation is to make the film, um, you know, other than maybe you liked it doing films. But I mean, do you have a motivation beyond that? Are you are you thinking about, let's save the, the next generation? Or what is your motivation with this?
2: Well, I, you know, like I said, it's the, you know, forgive me, I've always been big on telling the truth, you know, and the the first one was that it's the same way. It's a journal, <clears throat> excuse me, a journalistic investigation. It's like, well, okay, these are the claims. Let's test them out. Let's go find out what we can find out about it. And I, I agree with you. The health one's probably the easiest one to take on. And, um, you know, so my, my motivation is yes, I like making films, but because that's the way I communicate, you know, and that's the way I get my message out because I'm, you know, I'm not a New York times author and, you know, and I don't have a regular, Blog, or that kind of thing. So, and um, because I think a lot of people need to see the truth. Is that's the best way I learn is by seeing things, you know, and and not just hearing and not just reading. And um, you know, it's an important time for all the things that you said. I think there's, it's, and my motivation is I've always just wanted to do something good, you know, and other people aren't taking that on in the same way, so. You know, so that's really my motivation. I think it's, I mean, you could put some kind of a nice little, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, maybe I should come up with something like that. Let's save the next generation, you know, come <laughs> up with a, with a tagline that, that people can jump on board. In fact, if any of your listeners have great ideas for taglines, shoot them right over, <laughs> you know, to, you know, go to perfecthumandiet.com and, you know, send me an email. You know but that that would be great. Any any suggestions, ideas, contributions are gratefully received. And I I think you're right. You know, you know you have to do something something good about this, and somebody has to stand up. So you can blame my mom. That's 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 my motivation.
0: <laughs> It'll put some immediacy behind it, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And I know you're up against the clock a bit, CJ, and uh, we we we're definitely grateful for your time and everything you shared with us. If you have a uh, any uh, places that you want to share for people to find outside of the the documentary stuff. I'll definitely tag that in the show notes as well, but anywhere else.
1: Hey, Cedar, well, before you, before <coughs> you also, I just want to ask one other quick, quick, super quick question. Sure. In, in this new film, Dispelling the Lies, or if that's, you know, working title, or whatever it's going to be, where right. are you at in that process right now? Have you done all the principal filming? Are you still filming? Just, just so we get an idea of the timeline,
2: right? I'm in early production. I've done some of the filming, not all of the filming. And, um, Quite honestly if all the money were on the table today it would still take you know a year to have it come out because by the time you go into post and you know with a film it's not as not as easy as throwing up some other kinds of uh, material and if you want it to be well done and high quality and all that kind of stuff to get through the whole post process so you know that's that's really where we are at the moment it's it's early in the production thing and, and still in the uh, completion funding process so and people interested in that directly, that's, they can go to dispellingthelies.com. They can also get through it through my regular website is the theperfecthumandiet.com and they can find out more about the documentary and this um, new film, uh, Dispelling the Lies is the working title. Yeah, so, so there, you, there you go, there you have it.
1: All right, and, and, and for people who wanna follow you on social media or, or otherwise, track track your activities or get in contact with you what's what's the the best way to do that
2: um twitter is at cj hunt reports is the main one and uh now the other one was phd documentary you know for the film and on facebook it's uh the perfect human diet i guess facebook site is that same uh the way to get to it there and um So that's really the only thing. I haven't mastered Instagram or any of that stuff yet. I'm still, I'm looking for the video online that'll teach me how to do it right. It took, it took me a week to figure out you had to use your phone (laughs) and you couldn't do it off your desktop. So, you know, I still need to be drug along on some of these new social media tools. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm learning every day on that stuff and it's kind of, kind of, you know, like I said, if you'd asked me five years ago, if I'd been doing what I'm doing now, I'd say,
2: heck no.
0: (laughs) Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.